Hey guys, I am so excited for this last bonus episode of season two. It is actually with my husband, Terry, and we look at two of the big questions you guys had for us. You know, I am just so appreciative that my husband stepped out of his comfort zone and showed up for this. Um, so let's just celebrate him in doing that. And I hope you guys love this episode as much as I loved doing it with him. Welcome to Affirming Truths. I'm your friend and host, Carla Arges. This show is a safe place to share our struggles, grow in faith, and root our identity in Christ. My hope is that you will leave each episode feeling encouraged in your journey. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review. I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome to this bonus episode. I have a special treat for you. I am joined by my husband, Terry. Say hi, Terry. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, baby. You're welcome. Um, you know, when I got the idea to sit down and have a conversation with Terry, I reached out to my Facebook group. Side note, if you're not in our Facebook community, you need to be, so join in the show notes. But I reached out to the community and I asked them, you know, if I was going to sit down and talk to my husband, what would you want us to talk about? What would you want us to share in terms of marriage? And there were two themes that were overwhelmingly strong that stood out the most. One was living with someone with mental illness. Because as you guys know, I have borderline, I have uh, bipolar, I have something new that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and the second theme that came up was communication, communication in a marriage and how we make that work for us. So I think we'll tackle the first one first. Mm -hmm. First things first, living with someone with mental illness. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that I went untreated for a long time, misdiagnosed and untreated. And those were difficult times. It was difficult for me. I can only imagine, Terry, what it was like for you. What was that experience living with me when I had my mental illness not properly treated? I was having rage attacks. I was having depressions. Like... What was that time period like for you? Well, it was challenging, certainly, but you have to have a healthy dose of perspective that as you're going through that, there's a degree of sympathy in that as much as it's challenging, you're trying to figure out um, how to have the best care for you, and what the proper diagnosis is. It's always more difficult on the person with the illness itself than it is on the person living with them. Uh, you know, there was struggle and frustrations for you on trying to figure out exactly what you're dealing with. Um, so I think it was just, that was a very difficult period of wanting first and foremost for you to get the right diagnosis, because then we can move forward and understand now we can plan on how we deal with that now that we have a, a certain diagnosis. So it's just the uncertainty of, of not knowing what you're dealing with was challenging 
uh, but certainly always more challenging for you than it was for me. I remember you describing it once as you feeling like you constantly had to walk on eggshells. I, but yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Because you can be real here. You're not going to hurt my feeling. You can no, be honest. No, no. no uh, it's true because um, you have to be more mindful of the words that you use, your body language. Uh, and I think that's one thing for a person, whether it's a spouse or a close family member that's interacting or living with someone with mental illness, is you just have to be much more aware of how you present yourself verbally, physically, uh, because, um, and that wasn't something that I was very good at, uh, is, is being aware of my body cues, my body language, my lack of communication, and that could be triggering to you sometimes. And it was triggering to you sometimes. And so I've had to learn over the course of the past you know, decade or so how to do that better. And I'm not perfect. I've made strides, but I'm certainly not perfect at that. But you do have to be much more mindful of your, how you present yourself to the other person. Yeah, and I would say that's particularly true in our case because of my borderline that went undiagnosed for so long. Um, With borderline, you really read into every facial cue. We're very um, in tune with shifts in body language and the underlying emotion that that is carrying. Um, Very in tune. Like when something's bothering Terry, I know like from subtle things, even the way his nostrils flare, I can tell if something's bothering him. This is true. And before I was managing my mental illness. I internalized all of that and I took it on like something's wrong with Terry. It's my fault. And then I would get annoyed that it was my fault and I'd get annoyed with him. And then it would just spiral out of control. Um, I do have to say that you did a lot of things right as a spouse of someone dealing with mental illness. And I so appreciate that. One, even though you admitted, and you still admit this, you don't understand mental illness, you accepted it. You never made me feel like I don't need, shouldn't take medication or I shouldn't go to therapy. You have been accepting even of that, which you don't understand. Mm-hmm. How were you able to be so accepting when you couldn't understand it? Because a lot of spouses and a lot of um, women that I talk to that deal with mental illness, their husbands are almost in denial. Like mm-hmm. there's something about the stigma of mental illness that can exist even in relationships. And you never had that stigma towards me. Why do you think that you were able just to be so accepting? Well, it didn't happen immediately. I can say that. I think for the first period of time after your diagnosis, I did struggle with the lack of understanding um, what this really meant. Um, so it, it wasn't immediate, but you have to come to the point where you make a decision and, yet, and you arrive at that fairly quickly, which is to say, you can ignore it, you can minimize it, even if you don't understand it, and that can continue to cause challenges. Um, or you can accept it and offer yourself unconditionally as support, even if you will never fully completely understand 
the battle, the challenges, the, the symptoms, the issues that someone with mental illness faces, but you can choose and make a decision to be there for support in whatever way possible. So um, I think in the marriage relationship that we have, it's really important for people to know that they have an advocate, especially in the household with them, mm -hmm. that regardless of what happens, regardless of the, the symptoms, the circumstances, that you can feel safe in that relationship. You can feel comfortable knowing that, that you have someone who is, um, may not fully understand and may never fully understand, but um, will not take that occasion to um, walk away or choose to ignore it uh, for the sake of, you know, mm -hmm. whatever reason they might. So um, you just have to make a decision. And I think that decision is the right one that you always lead with support um, because you're not, you're not the person who's suffering through it. The other great thing that you did in terms of your lack of understanding is you got educated. I bought you a couple of books. One of them was uh, living with someone with bipolar. That's right. I bought yeah. some books on borderline and you got educated. And I think that goes a long way. I think it also has helped because borderline can be vicious. And, you know, I recently had a flare up and we saw a glimpse of that old viciousness again. Um, that it helped you not to take things personally. It helped you identify the illness as separate than your wife. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I think it, it wasn't just that you helped to educate me and provided resources to, to educate me on the illnesses, which you did, but you also communicated some of the ways in which the, they manifested themselves in your own life and your own behavior. And one example that I can think of, uh, which is a practical example, is you the dishes, dishes, doing dishes would would be something you really struggled with, and it would actually cause you stress. It would cause you anxiety. And, and it's so, so funny. Than, I got to interrupt you for a second. I have always struggled doing dishes. They bring me to the point of near panic attacks. And I never understood what was wrong with me. But do you remember that book that I gave you on yes. living with someone with bipolar? And it listed common mm -hmm. triggers and dishes was one of them. And I felt so validated in that moment. Like, I'm not some sort of weirdo. This is this is a, an actual symptom of my illness, like dishes triggered the crap out yeah. of me mm -hmm. sorry but it was yeah no, but it was on. important that you did you you communicated that because um otherwise you might come to the wrong conclusions like that you know things are piling up and rather than you know for some people that might trigger them to say oh my goodness okay i'm going to tackle this right away and get rid of it for you it would cause you the opposite reaction where it would just cause you more stress and more anxiety and so by communicating that to me, it helped me understand that that's an area that triggers you. And so I can help in that regard. Um, so I, I appreciate the fact that you did help to educate me and you provided resources to educate me, but it wasn't just the education and the resources. It was also the fact that you communicated that how the illnesses impacted you specifically, that meant we could find a way to, to, 
to resolve those so that you wouldn't feel so triggered in certain circumstances. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Cause a long time I berated myself that I'm just lazy. I'm incompetent. Yeah. I'm a terrible housewife. I'm like, if housewife was a paying job, I would be fired. <laughs> like I am not a good housekeeper. Um, but rather than see me as lazy and see me as, you know, just not worth anything you have come in and filled in the gap and taken on a lot of those household duties um and while you may have started with a little bit of grudgery is that a word (laughs) begrudgingly (laughs) begrudgingly um you have come around to actually doing it lovingly well and and now it's it's be felt like it's become a routine and it's just one way that together we feel like we can contribute to the overall household so mm-hmm. i may do something there but you are are doing something else in another area of the household that makes it feel like you know we're we're our unit we're a, you know a married couple um so yeah I, I think that that's key that we're a unit you know and this leads into the whole communication piece and i will yeah. say that Terry and I have had some big struggles in our marriage and I won't go into all the details, but we have had huge struggles early on in our marriage when it came to in-laws with Terry's parents um, that nearly broke our relationship. We have had struggles with betrayal and broken trust. And we have had obviously mental illness struggles and what has kept us coming back and we're better at it now is that we act as a unit. It is not me against Terry and Terry against me. When we were first married, I felt a little bit like it was me against you and you against me that, you know, I had to win. But what we've, I think, come to recognize is that if there is a problem, it's not me against Terry, it's Terry and I against the problem. Whether the problem is my problem, whether the problem is Terry's problem, if it impacts the security of our relationship, it's a we problem. We attack it together. We come together as partners and work through things. And I think sometimes a lot of the headbutting that happens in marriages Um, and where communication breaks down in marriages is everyone's trying to work their own agenda. You need to have one agenda, right? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's well said. Um, And rather than scratching and clawing for as much, you know, um, influence in what you think may be the right way, uh, it's always better to be um, doing this collaboratively together. Uh, and I think that's, it's, it's actually well put that it's, it's, you know, you and your spouse against the problem rather than making the problem your spouse. And then you're yeah. having a constant battle of wits or about like a constant fight. So I would agree. Um, but on the communication side, I think that's the one that I've struggled with initially the most, especially on the communication front, because, um, communication verbally doesn't always, it does not come naturally to me. Um, and I think there were times, and this is, uh, Carla mentioned, he's very in, in tune and attuned to 
my body language and where something may be wrong, I would tend to suppress my feelings and, um, and not share them. And that caused you to feel like, I remember you saying like, I, I can't trust your feelings. I can't trust what you're feeling because you don't articulate them. Um, and even if not it was that simply, I can't trust your feelings, I can't trust what you say. Cause I'd be like, right. what's wrong. And you'd be nothing when yeah. all your body signals are flashing. Right. There is something right. wrong. And then you would say nothing. And I'm like, that is not true. That is a lie. How can I trust what you say when I know blatantly you're not being open and forthcoming with me. And that used to cause me a lot of frustration that used to cause me a lot of anger. <laughs> Mm. Um, but I also have learned over the years, especially going through the challenges that we've gone through with your parents, um, that you were not raised to communicate. You were raised to keep the peace and keep mama happy, no matter what, not to rock the boat. So you were raised not to share your feelings. Um, you were raised to avoid conflict at all costs. And I was raised in a very vocal, loud, always fighting, everyone oversharing, not in healthy ways what they were feeling. So we were Mm -hmm. two different ends of the spectrum. I've had to learn how to rein in how I communicate and take a more diplomatic and empathetic way in sharing my feelings. And you've had to learn how to become a little bit more assertive. That's right. In, in communicating right and, it, and I, it used to stem from a place of not realizing that almost invalidating your own concerns or, or or issues that you wouldn't want to communicate them so I would say well I had a rough day today at work and now I've come home and I've got to pick up some more things and you know it didn't feel like I could relax and, and I would assume well but but you are facing much larger issues so therefore it's not worth bringing those things up when in reality you need to you need to be able to communicate how you're feeling they're valid feelings but i would always put them under the the category of well whose issues are more challenging or more severe and therefore Mm -hmm. it would feel like it's therefore not worth articulating those things which is the wrong decision and it's still a constant battle for me to be more uh forthcoming with those things because it doesn't come naturally to me uh but certainly a long way from where i originally started which was the ultimate people pleaser uh avoid conflict at all costs yes yes that that definitely was your mo um one of the things that helped us early on in our marriage too is we took the love languages and um i used to be very assertive and angry and use my words harshly and then move on from it and and think those are just words that I said when I was angry they don't don't matter and then come to find out your love language is words of affirmation yeah well the opposite of words of affirmation cut you so deeply and so I had to learn how to take control over my tongue and my primary love language is physical touch. Yes. You've had to learn how to communicate love in that way too. And guys, physical touch is not just sex. Just so you know, there's lots of ways to demonstrate um, physical touch. And so 
both of our languages are like the lowest on either side. So Terry's physical touch is really low. My words of affirmation are very low. Terry tells me all the time that I'm beautiful and great. Thank you. He tells me all the time that he loves me. Great. Thank you. It just doesn't resonate to me as love as much. So I've had to learn how to accept his words more in a loving way at the same time as he has had to learn how to incorporate physical touch, right? It's not just one person has to change. We change together towards something better. I've had to learn how to rein in my tongue and Terry's had to learn not to take words so personally and so Mm -hmm. deeply, right? Like we're growing together. We're learning together. And again, it comes down to the fact that we decided we were going to be a team, that we were partners. We decided it is not going to be her against him. It's going to be us against the world. And that makes a huge difference. And if I could give one piece of marriage advice, it would be be on each other's team, one agenda. And that may take going to therapy that may take, you know, big, deep conversations. I know for us on both sides, it took a lot of forgiveness and grace too. Cause if you're holding on to old hurts, you're not going to get to the point where you can be a team. You have to forgive. You have to have grace for one another. We're all human, right. Um, and, and work towards the same goals. What would be one? Oh, thank you. See, he's good with the words of affirmation. <laughs> what would Case be, in point. Yeah. What would be a piece of advice that you would give someone marriage advice? I, I would say this would be particularly relevant for someone who is um, supporting the person who may be struggling with mental illness um, is that you need to find outlets and your own space where you can um, feel supported and comforted because it will feel, particularly if it's new, it will feel like it's something else that you're maybe taking on. You're taking on some additional burden. You may be taking on some additional effort, Um, but you need to find ways, whether that's uh, a hobby, whether that's connecting with a small group, if you're involved in church, um, if you have a, a strong peer network that, or a group of people who you can go to for support, but you need something where um, you can go to get support for you um, because you may struggle initially with uh, being the supporter, caregiver of someone with mental illness. And it is, um, can be a bit of a shock maybe initially. So I think it's important that you do take time to uh, put on your own oxygen mask, have your own uh, space for support, because it's, it's critical that uh, if you, you, for you to operate at your best as well, because you uh, want to operate your best for your partner, for your spouse, um, but you also don't want to burn, burn yourself out as well in the process. What is your place for support? Uh, yeah, so I have a few things. Uh, one, 
primarily, uh, I go to a, a small group of uh, men from our church that meet weekly. We meet on Saturday mornings. And through that process, having been there a couple of years now, has been crucial and instrumental in connecting me with other men who can come alongside me. We can pray together. We can talk together. We can dialogue, share burdens, get encouragement. So that's been helpful for me. Um, and and then that's not me sharing significant details all the time, but it, it allows you that space where there are others who you can mm-hmm. confide in, who you can uh, find rallying around you in and support. So that's one of the ways I think that's been quite helpful for me. Um, It also helps you realize that um, you may find yourself thinking that there aren't others that are in a similar journey as you are, which in reality is not the case. I mean, this um, many people are supporting others with mental illness and uh, have gone through some of the the challenges and can speak from a, a place of expertise. So that's been quite helpful for me in my journey. And where have you seen God move in our marriage? I I would say um, almost this maybe sound interesting, but it's almost at the place where at the beginning it felt like you know mental like the mental illness was the elephant in the room, or it was just that that large looming presence initially where there's us, there's us individually, there's us uh, together corporately as a married couple. And then there's the, the elephant in the room or the presence of the mental illness. I honestly feel like now um, that I don't see it that way, that God has essentially said, you guys are a married couple, you're a unit. And for better for, or for worse, this is what you are. This is part of your marriage. So I don't view this as there's Terry and Carla plus you know, this shadow of something large, I feel like it's us together. It's just us as one unit dealing with, with this. But I I feel like I don't, I don't view mental illness as, you know, a a large burden or something that we've had to contend with in our relationship. It's just the two of us. And it's just become a part of our, our daily living and not in a bad way. I mean, that, you know, I almost don't think about it as much anymore because we are, you know, God has provided ways for us to support each other, to encourage each other. And so I almost, I honestly think that that may be one of the ways I've seen him work Mm -hmm. is that it's no longer a looming presence in the background of Terry, Carla and mental illness. It's just Terry and Carla and the beautiful, wonderful mess that it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a mess. Not a mess. I don't mean mess, but a beautiful, (laughs) wonderful uh, journey. Journey. I think the way I've seen God move most in our marriage too, is how he has given us over the years, a deep compassion for each other, where before I think both of us in our own way and in our own, for our own reasons, um, harbored resentment towards each other. There was, there was a resentment and an anger and, Um, we were begrudging towards each other in some ways. And I think God has just, as we've invited him in, that's key people. God doesn't force his way in. You need to invite him in. As we've invited God more and more into our marriage, as we've been willing to be humbled ourselves in the roles that we play in our problems, um, I have seen God turn my heart towards compassion for Terry 
in places where before it was resentful and hurt. And I've also seen in Terry, his heart turn towards compassion towards me in areas where maybe he was resentful and hurt. And it just speaks to the grace of God that that compassion um, has allowed forgiveness and healing to happen. And it's just by the grace of God. And I know some of the things that we pray when we pray for each other is that we pray that God's love for the other person would flow through us. So I pray, God, you love Terry so much. Let your love for him, which is perfect and complete and unchangeable and unconditional, let that love that you have for him flow through me and vice versa um, to really solidify a, a, a foundation of love and trust and compassion and grace. So that's sort of where I've seen him working in our relationship. All right. Well, I think we hit the two we, things. We cover it? I think we did. All right. You know, maybe we'll have to have you on every season and we can have people say, what do they want to hear from Terry? I can do a poll. Anyways, guys, if you have any follow-up questions to this, you can send me an email. My email is in the show notes, or you can head over to our Facebook community and ask in the Facebook group. You know, Terry and I are pretty much an open book. I'm a little bit more open than he is. You are much more open than I Let's say much more. (laughs) much more open than he is. Um, But he is so gracious to be stepping out of his comfort zone and joining me in this uh, conversation today. So I really appreciate you, honey. Thanks for having me on. I've been waiting for this invite for however long. I'm glad (laughs) it finally came, but uh, hopefully I passed the audition and I can come back again sometime soon. Yeah, I think you can. And friends, if you ever want to be able to have a say in what type of bonus episodes I do and what type of conversations I cover, then make sure you are part of the Facebook community because I often pull people there. I take suggestions. I take I take your input, right? Like this show is for you to encourage you, to point you to God um, and to be with you during your valley season. So With that said, I will sign off. I hope you guys have a great week. Hey friends, before you go, I want you to know about a resource I have for you. If you struggle with replacing lies with truth, if you struggle with a negative mindset and really rooting your identity in Christ, I want you to go check out my Who You Say I Am biblically-based affirmation cards. They're a great way to learn what God has to say about you, to combat lies and replace it with the truth of the word. You can find them at my website or in the link below. Thanks for joining me today. I hope we're already friends on social media, but if we're not, come find me on Instagram at Carla Arges or at Affirming Truth. Can't wait to see you back here next week. Bye, friends.